0: Good morning and Happy New Year. Uh, it's a joy to gather with you and worship our good God together this morning. I bring you greetings from the Baptist Convention of Maryland, Delaware, and also Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. And Pastor Curtis, I want to extend a, a thank you so much for this kind invitation. Uh, the BCMD also is so very thankful to Pastor Curtis for his leadership as a president of our convention's general mission board. So thank you, church for allowing allowing him to serve in this important role. And thank you, most importantly, for your partnership in the gospel. And may God continue to bless your work here in Newark uh, and beyond for his glory and for the advancement of his gospel. Let's pray one more time and we'll begin. Father, bless the preaching and hearing of your word. Not by might, nor by power, nor by man's eloquence, nor by man's wisdom, but by the Spirit of the living God, convict us to repentance and faith. Awaken hearts and minds to your truth, your will, your way, that we will be more conformed to Christ. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see more of our sin and our desperate need of you. Draw unbelievers to yourself and grant them the knowledge of your immeasurable love and grace. Decrease us and make much of your Son for your glory and for our edification. In Jesus' name, amen. J.C. Ryle, a 19th century pastor and author, said, Tell me what are the prayers of a man, and I will tell you what the state of his soul is. For prayer is one's spiritual pulse. So I want to ask you this morning, what are you praying for in 2018? I ask because I am most certain, or at least I hope so, that along with all your other New Year's resolutions, growing spiritually would be one of your goals for the new year. Unfortunately, according to Forbes magazine, the odds may be against you. I read in an online article that 40% of Americans make New Year's resolutions, and just as a comparison, about one-third of Americans watch the Super Bowl. So we're talking about lots of Americans who make lots of New Year's resolutions. But despite all the good intentions, only a tiny fraction of us keep our resolutions. The article says in one uh, university's research, it suggests that just 8% of people achieve their New Year's resolutions. That's a pretty high failure rate and a very low success rate. So, if you desire spiritual fitness this year, what should you do? When you examine your Bible reading and prayer life and particularly evangelism, maybe some of your uh, spiritual disciplines reveal something not so encouraging, maybe a little discouraging for some of you. But lest you think that I came to bear bad news only, be encouraged because you are not alone in your endeavor. When it comes to spiritual matters, the Bible reminds us in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? And I have good news for you because this is Paul's prayer in our passage this morning. Paul prays for you. God wants you to be strengthened in your faith. This is what the Bible calls us to be, strong and powerful Christians. So I want to encourage you and challenge you, Ogletown Baptist, in 2018, seek strong faith, pursue powerful faith, because I want to show you from our text that there is a direct relationship between the measure, the size, the amount, the degree, the strength of our faith, and God's glory. Strong faith, powerful faith, is biblical faith that glorifies God. Maybe for some, asking uh, to measure your faith or someone else's faith seems rude or legalistic. Uh, What if someone looked at you and said, Your faith is weak, brother. Your faith is weak, sister. What would you think? Would you be offended? Would you label that person a bigot or judgmental? Would you say that he or she is unloving or unchristian and not very Jesus-like? Well, you realize Jesus often said to his disciples, O oh, ye of little faith. See, despite what you and I or the culture thinks is politically correct or not, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians thirteen five, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself unless you, indeed you fail to meet the test. So, as Christians, we are instructed to examine our faith. We must know, represent, live out, speak forth true faith. But not only that, we must help one another discern in love what is genuine Christian faith according to Scripture. So, this morning I want to ask you a simple question How is your faith? Is it strong? Is it weak? Is it okay? Could it be better? Could it be worse? Or maybe for some of you, it's not as strong as it used to be. How is your faith? And how can we get our faith up to the biblical par that in 2018 we can truly reflect God's glory? So if you want to be strong in faith, examine your own spiritual pulse by the words the Lord has given to us this morning. I want to share with you three lessons From Paul's prayer for spiritual power. Three lessons from Paul's prayer for spiritual power. Here's the outline so you know where we're headed. Number one, posture. Number two, petition. And number three, praise. Number one, posture. Number two, petition. And number three, praise. I'm praying that Paul's prayer will be your prayer this morning. And pray that this message will encourage you to be empowered anew in your spirit So that you will glorify our great God in your life and in your church all the more in 2018. So the first lesson from Paul's prayer is the posture of prayer from verses 14 and 15. How, the question is how does Paul approach prayer? Verses 14 and 15 reads, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul begins his prayer with, for this reason. And naturally, you have to ask, for what reason? So, to give you some context, Paul reminds us in Ephesians in chapter 2 how God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, although we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive with Christ, raising us up with him, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. See, Paul understands that we have been saved by grace through faith, not as a result of works, but that salvation is a gift of God freely given to us. So we have no reason to boast in ourselves whatsoever, but every reason to boast in God. Paul recounts uh, to and through the believers in Ephesus of the reality that once they too were separated from Christ, having no hope and without God. But now, in Christ Jesus, we who are far off have been brought near by the bloodshed sacrifice of Christ Jesus. Paul says Christ's finished work brought together Jews and Gentiles as one body through the cross. And now we no longer are strangers and aliens, but now we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets in Christ Jesus, whom the whole structure joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So for this reason, Paul says, so therefore because of these reasons I bow my knees before the Father. And what reason it is. What do you observe about Paul's posture as he goes to God in prayer this way? For one, you sense Paul's deep humility. Paul cannot fathom this wonderful salvation in Christ Jesus, yet he understands the gravity of being made heirs, the children of the living God through Christ. Furthermore, what he gets, uh, he gets what, the, what, what privilege it is to be made known and to declare the mystery hidden for ages, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the saints, Same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. That's why Paul approaches God in deep reverence and humility, bowing to him in prayer, prostrate in worship, which was the unusual way Jews would pray during that day because they would pray standing up. See, Paul gets it, you see. He knows who he is, and he knows who he is, that he is God, that I am not. And that's why he is on his knees. He is humbled. But another posture we see in Paul's prayer is one of confidence. Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Brothers and sisters, how blessed are we to be able to call the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, our Father. To approach the throne of grace with confidence, with no condemnation. Isn't that an amazing thing? Isn't that an awesome reality? I love uh, that my uh, five-year-old daughter, Katie, uh, is so unashamedly bold about her her request for toys. Uh, Yesterday, our family arrived in Delaware early in the afternoon, and we needed to pick up a few things at Target And uh, we wanted to kill some time before dinner, so we were walking around the mall. It's a huge mall. Um, And there it was, as we were walking through the mall, the Disney store. And uh, how can you walk by the Disney store with a five-year-old and not go inside, right? So Katie, wide-eyed, with excitement, began looking around. And before I knew it, she found a toy that she liked. Actually, she found several and told me to choose which ones uh, are options for her. So particularly, she picked Princess of Elena Avalor. And I particularly liked this uh, toy because it was only $11 on sale. (laughs) She wanted it. And I said, but Katie, you got a toy yesterday. Because in our house, whenever you get a blue in kindergarten for good behavior, we, we give her a treat or a prize. She said, but Daddy, she's so cute. She's so awesome. I want it. I love Katie's confidence, by the way. She has no shame. So for me, I responded, oh, okay, all right. (laughs) Call me a softie, but how can I say no to my daughter? You can say I'm spoiling her. You can say that I'm a bad parent. But what wouldn't I buy her or give her if I'm able to give her, if she will be happy? if it isn't bad for her, like too much candy or ice cream. And you can counsel me later on parenting later. But come on, she's my daughter, right? I love her more than I love myself. And I haven't had the opportunity to try, but given the chance, I think I would die for her. She's my baby. In the same way, the Bible says in Matthew 7, 7, 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? Psalm 84.11 says, No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly, those who are in Christ Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, what is your posture when approaching our generous Father in prayer? Do you humbly bow your knees before Him? Do you worship Him, acknowledging Him, your utter unworthiness? and dependence on Him? Yet at the same time, are you confident because He's your Father and no good thing will He withhold because He loves you, because He gave Himself up for you? This isn't prosperity gospel. It's biblical. God won't give you a billion dollars because it's not good for you. He'll say no if it doesn't prosper you in holiness. He'll say wait if it helps you develop, uh, helps you and develops you and grows you just as a loving father who cares for for his children does. Amen? If you want a good uh, resource, a good book on prayer, check out uh, a short booklet called A Call to Prayer by J.C. Ryle. And read that book and be convicted. Weep, repent, and be fired up for prayer. Because our God desires to hear our prayers. Amen? If you're not a Christian here this morning, we want to welcome you. Thank you so much for coming here. We invite you to continue to come. There's no better place. We'd rather you to be on a Sunday morning. I really sincerely pray that you will find a warm and loving community here at Ogletown Baptist. But I wonder if you know such a benefactor in your life like our Heavenly Father who gives without measure, who loves without limit, giving up even his own son to die, that you might receive the riches of his glory. Maybe your earthly father has been generous to you, but can he save you from your sins? Can he make right your brokenness and shame? Can he forgive the sins of your past, present, and future? No man or woman can expect to be saved who does not pray. So if you're not a Christian, plead that you heard He is a generous Father who is merciful and gracious and ask Him to save you today, this morning. If you want to find out more, please uh, speak to someone who is smiling next to you and perhaps perhaps one of the pastors and I'm sure they'll be very glad to speak to you more about this Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Second lesson is... The petition of Paul's prayer, the petition of Paul's prayer, verses 16 through 19. Here we see what, what Paul prays for. So there's three sub-points here within this point. So first, what does Paul pray for? Number one, Paul prays for power, power. Verses 16 through the first part of 17 says that according to the riches of his great glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul prays for you to be a powerful Christian. Not just a Christian by name. Not just a Christian on Sundays. Not just a Christian by title, pastor, elder, deacon, youth leader. Not just a Christian when things are easy. But a true Christian. Christian from the inside out. So how do you get there, you may be asking. How can we obtain such a strong spiritual state? Because I know there's got to be some people here, even as early as it is this morning for you to be here at church, some of you, I know, there's got to be people in here struggling with sin, struggling with unbelief, temptation, jealousy, pride, discontentment, fear, anxiety, depression, anger, Unforgiveness, and even yourself. Maybe you're thinking a strong Christian and me? That just doesn't go together. A humble Christian, a a struggling Christian, a trying Christian, a growing Christian. Yeah, that's more me. But a strong, powerful Christian? I don't think I'm there quite yet. But brothers and sisters, Paul's prayer for you this morning is not for you to be a mediocre Christian or a nominal Christian or a Christian who had his, his or her better days. God's plan for you is not to be a weak, mild-mannered, politically correct, not offending anyone, not sharing the gospel with anyone, not discipling anyone, not a cowardly Christian. Why? Because the strength of our faith is provided according to the riches of His glory through His Spirit. Brothers and sisters, this is the beauty and the glory of the Christian faith. That the measure of the Christian faith doesn't depend on us. It depends not on our works. The power of our faith depends on Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross. Amen? The Christian faith is a gift from God. Ephesians Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. You can't conjure up faith. You can't make up faith if it is genuine, true Christian faith. Faith in Jesus Christ, big or small, new or old, true faith is strong faith. It's a faith that endures. It's a faith that lasts. It's a faith that wins. And that's powerful faith. So when you say that the measure of our faith reflects, when I say that the measure of our faith reflects the glory of God, it's because the Christian faith is from Him, through Him, and to Him, all glory and power belongs to Him. Furthermore, Paul says, For this reason I pray that He would grant you to be strengthened with power in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now listen, Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith isn't talking about initial salvation. You see, Paul is praying for Christians in this chapter. Right? Paul is praying for those whose hearts have already been transformed and indwelt by Christ. This is uh, talking about Christ's continual, perpetual, increasing, abiding, dwelling through faith. Therefore, Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith isn't the result of us being strengthened with power in the inner man. What it's actually saying is we are strengthened with power when or as, or because Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. You are strong in the inner man when, as, because Christ dwells at the center of your heart and your mind and your life. That's what Paul says in Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 16.24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself And take up the cross and follow me. That's why true Christians testify in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life, uh, now I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Brothers and sisters, do you live as you've been crucified with Christ? Have you stopped living for yourself? but live for Christ? Do you love and give yourself for others as Christ did for you? For all your worries, for all your problems, for all your burdens, whatever may come your way in 2018, is Christ your all in all? Is Christ your absolution and resolution? Is Christ in you the hope of glory? Pray, dear saints, that Christ will be the center of your life in 2008. Secondly, Paul, what does Paul pray for? Paul prays for understanding. Look at verses 17, the second part, and through the first part of 19. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What do these verses mean? Paul is praying that you, being grounded and rooted in love in Christ, the solid rock, the firm foundation, and the cornerstone, may have strength to comprehend or understand with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So, 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 so listen here. Read this here. right? Paul is praying that we would know the unknowable. He is praying that we would know a love that surpasses knowledge. Yes, Paul prays that God would grant such knowledge for our strengthening and our power. So how do we understand this unknowable knowledge? I like how the NIV translates this word comprehend in that verse as the word grasp, grasp. Paul prays that we would grasp it, that we would get it. Christians, isn't your prayer for those who do not yet know Jesus that they would grasp? That they would grasp a knowledge that surpasses knowledge? See, it's a knowledge we in our finite, sinful, depraved minds cannot grasp on our own. It's only granted by God's gracious revelation of Himself. And thankfully, God is in the business of making Himself known. He is not hiding in creation. He is not silent in history. God speaks in nature, revealing his power and order and beauty and creativity. But not only that, he has given us his life-giving, life-transforming word in the scriptures. Hallelujah. What then is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ? It is the gospel. Every aspect of his gospel is incomprehensible. In fact, it's outright offensive to the natural mind. That good news, that God who is holy and just created all things in love for His own glory and for our pleasure. That man, when they were tempted by Satan, chose to trust himself, wanting to be a god unto himself, deliberately disobeying God's word. As a result, man was separated from God, completely helpless and incapable of saving himself from the vain and dissatisfying power and curse of sin. But that God in His mercy had a plan from the very, very beginning to redeem man and forgive man for their sins. How did He do that? By sending His own Son, Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we should have died. And He took Our place as a substitute on the cross. He paid the debt we should have paid in eternal hell. But on the third day, Jesus Christ rose again from death, which meant that God accepted his sacrifice, which meant that Christ defeated sin, Satan, and death uh, forever, that whosoever would believe in him will not die and will not go to hell, but participate in his resurrection and live the abundant life here on earth and forevermore. And when he returns, and when he returns on that final day, the Bible says every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ indeed is Lord. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, that Paul's prayers have been answered. Look at this place. The church is filled with testimonies of God granting the grasping of his unsearchable truth here and all over the globe. And all of us sitting in this room worshiping Him this morning have been graciously granted this unknowable knowledge to the praise of His glory. Amen? Brian Chapel says, God's love is as long as eternally, eternity past, wide as to include all the nations, so high as to ring praises from angels in heaven, and so deep as to cancel the claims of hell on our souls. 1 John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I wonder if you know this amazing love. It's a love that doesn't fail. It's a love that doesn't disappoint. It's a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. If you're not a Christian here this morning, consider J.C. Ryle's invitation for salvation. He says, believe in the gospel of Jesus this morning and tell him that you heard that he receives sinners and that you come to him on the faith of his own invitation. Tell him that you put yourself wholly and entirely in his hands. Tell him that you are vile and helpless and hopeless in yourself except that he saves you and you have no hope of being saved at all. Friend, will you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and His good news today? Christians, are you regularly, intentionally sharing this gospel in your workplace with your family and your neighbors? Do you make yourself available to study or read the Bible with friends and family and and, and people that want to get to know Jesus better? Do you make a priority to uh, pray the gospel? Uh, Praying the gospel will go forth through missions through the world, particularly in places where there is little or no access to the gospel. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you, continue to pray for gospel understanding throughout the world. Third and final subpoint: Paul prays. What does Paul pray for? Paul prays for filling and maturity. Look at the second part of verse 19. It says, That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What does it mean for someone to be filled with all the fullness of God? Paul explains what he means later in Ephesians four twelve and 13. It says, Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We're building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. So to be filled with the fullness of God means, number one, first thing, is God's dynamic activity working in you. It's God's work in the life of a Christian through the Spirit making you holy and more like Christ. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. It's the biblical concept of already but not yet. What I mean is, You are saved, but he says, the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The Bible says, you are forgiven, but but it says, repent of your sins and believe in the gospel and obey my word. The Bible says, you are holy, but it says, be holy as I am holy. See, already, but not yet, is a glimpse of God's glory in the life, ministry, and testimony of the Christian. It's him empowering you to humility, to abiding, to trusting, to relying, and clinging to Jesus Christ. It's a relationship with Him while we are saved here on earth. It's ultimately what we will experience in heaven more fully, the fullness, the completeness of His glory. But even more so, the Bible teaches us that we can experience the fullness of God through the church. I love this. Ephesians 1:22 through 22-23 says, And He put all things under His feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. the church is his body, which is the fullness of him through our union with the resurrected and exalted Christ, in whom the fullness of deity resides God's people, the church, possesses this divine fullness, and according to Colossians 119 and two nine the divine fullness is perfectly found in Christ, and it is made visible from Him in the church. Paul prays that we who have already been united with Christ would walk in the newness of life and attain this fullness. In other words, we are to become what we already are and become all that God wants us to be. This is made manifest in the church. The gospel is made visible through the local church. In the church, we see a glimpse of what it's like to be filled with the fullness of God, what it will be like in heaven, a gathering of redeemed sinners, covenanting together, caring for one another, praying for one another, discipling one another, weeping and rejoicing with one another, guarding and proclaiming the gospel together, reaching the nations together until a great multitude from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and language, worship our risen Lord together, helping each other grow one step closer to home. So, members of OBC, do you take your membership seriously? Are you intentionally discipling people who are different than you, ethnically, in age, in marital status? How are you exemplifying a gospel community that is entirely different from the world and from the culture? Are you commending the gospel in a way that you, in the way that you love and care for one another? Are you contributing faithfully, regularly, generously to support the work of your local church? Are you attending members' meetings faithfully? Are you serving in areas, maybe not necessarily in the areas of your giftings, but rather in inconvenient areas where there's a need? Are you considering how your local church can be a spiritual refuge to those who are marginalized in society? Brothers and sisters, the local church is God's idea of heaven on earth until we all attain the fullness of God in glory. You remember 2 Corinthians 3.18, don't you? And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this moves us to our final point. Third and final lesson from Paul's prayer is praise of expectation. Praise of expectation, verse 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Through Paul's prayer prayers, We consider three lessons on growing spiritually. Number one, the posture, the how of prayer. Number two, the petition, the what of prayer. And finally, we come to the why. Why do we pray for spiritual growth and strength? Why? The praise. To praise God for His glory. The purpose of why we desire to be spiritually powerful is for God's praise. See, this doxology in verses 20 through 21 is a true test of one's genuineness in prayer and their genuineness of faith. A person can fake emotions, but you can't fake a testimony. See, for any Christians who have long suffered in prayer know at the end, it isn't the outcome. Uh, It necessarily isn't the answered prayer Although answered prayers are an awesome and amazing thing, right? When God answers our prayers, that's an amazing thing. But if you prayed long enough, if you prayed hard enough and experienced God's grace, the satisfaction and the joy of your prayers isn't that you had your provision. It's that and so much more. It's the relationship, it's the faith that builds, it's God being so good, it's experiencing afresh that God is real. That God is true, that God is sovereign and faithful and merciful despite my sin and my shortcomings. And you shout out in praise, My God! My God! Have you, do you have that experience? This is why the Apostle Paul bursts out in what it seems to be a spontaneous doxology in, in these verses. He is praying for the Ephesians, he is praying for the believers of the next generation, he's praying for you and me. And just the thought of God's work in us leads him to hopeful expectation, jubilant ob- oblation, unhindered exaltation. Paul praises God for who he is, just simply that. In verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, not just farther than, not just far more than, but far more abundantly than all that we ask or even think. Saints, God is able. That's who he is. Paul also prays for what he is doing. Look at that, look at that, the second part of that verse. According to the power that is work within us. Need I say more? Christians, if you're a Christian, this power is already working in you. God has already answered Paul's prayer. You have everything you need. And for what else? Paul praises God for where his attention and affection lies in the church and in Christ Jesus. Verse 21 says, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters of Ogletown Baptist Church, Let me ask you again, what are your prayers in 2018? Do you believe that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that you ask or think? How can your church together collectively seek the strengthening of your church and your city? How can you pray for neighboring churches? How can you pray for your government like you already have? In what ways can you pray for gospel advance? Who can you pray for that is seemingly impossible to reach with the gospel, maybe in your personal life or or, or a group of people that you know in this community that, that hasn't been reached. I pray that in whatever way you seek the growth and strengthening of your church through prayer in 2018, and God will be greatly praised. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word that reminds us prayer is such a gift. Father, by seeing Paul's posture and petition and praise in prayer, Father, we are reminded that we have all we need. Father, what an invitation that you called us to be in a relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I pray that you will continue to bless the ministry of Ogletown Baptist Church And that through this church's prayer, that the kingdom of God will advance for your glory and for the edifications of churches here, near, and far for your glory until you return. In Jesus' name.